0: Happy! If you are visiting with us for the first time, we'd love to welcome you. Sorry, this church is a crazy church. Uh, I think they take after their bishop. A person who's crazy is somebody who loves God a little bit more. We are unashamed about Jesus Christ and unapologetic about serving him. I believe today sermon you are really going to enjoy, and I'd like for you to listen carefully. Uh, and today, and I'm glad even the poem and the songs were right in line with the sermon, even though I didn't tell them what I was going to preach. It's a very long passage that we're going to speak from, and that is in Luke chapter 2. It's 21 verses. Allow me to read all of it, please. I know you're not used to that. And I'm going to ask you to listen carefully today. Because the story about the birth of Christ has really been convoluted and confused a lot as it has gone down through history by so many people and even people who are painters. They've painted the wrong thing and I'm going to show you that later on. Some want to argue that this is a folklore story and it's not true. A made up story. And yet, I'm going to show you from scripture today that there is no way any human being could come up with a story like this that has so many confirming things around it, historical and otherwise. There's no way. I, don't, I would never want to credit any human being with such intelligence. And I want to show you in an undisputed way Jesus was born. We may not We may argue around the date. We may argue around other things. But what we can't argue about is the fact that he was born. And it's a historical fact. All the books of history confirm that. No history has ever denied the reality of his birth. And I want to show you the things that surrounded his birth. Things that unfortunately have not been conveyed to us in the proper way. I'm reading the New King James Version Bible. Yours might read differently, but the essence of the story is the same. Luke chapter 2 from verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Underline the word decree. And that all the world should be registered. Underline the word registered. The census took place whilst... Okay, let me read the King James Version. I'm sorry. Let me read the King James Version because the things I'm trying to fix are in the King James Version. So let me read the King James, because the new King James has got it. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So underline that. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone in his own city. Underline that. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, Unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be text with Mary, his espoused wife. So underline the word espoused. Espoused wife, being great with child, underline the words great with child.
1: Some things I won't
0: come back and remind you. I'll just expound on that later. So it was that whilst they were there, The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, underline the word firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes, underline swaddling clothes. And laid him in a manger, underline the word manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. And they were in the same country, shepherds, abiding in the field, underline shepherds. Abiding in the field, keeping watch, underline the expression, keeping watch, over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were so afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This was a prophecy. This had been predicted by many prophets, many years, hundreds of years before this time, not just one prophet, but many prophets. They predicted the birth of Christ, they predicted the place where he would be born. And this is why I'm saying, you know, the issue around Christ, if it was a matter of a figment of a human being's imagination, then it's very highly unlikely for so many things that were declared hundreds of years before, for all those things to converge together. At the same time. And every one of them be fulfilled. Exactly as it was said more than a hundred years before. There's no human being who could orchestrate such a story. Never error Can never be. All right, let's read further. Verse 12. It shall be that... It, it, it shall be a sign unto you. Underline the word sign. You shall find... Underline the word find... The baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Underline swaddling clothes again. Lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see these things which is come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste and they found Mary. Interesting. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. That's significant. Underline the whole verse here, 16. That's where the whole thing is. That's, where they, that's the crux of the story. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told by them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, and the shepherd returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, and it was told unto them. And then it says, and when eight days were accomplished, Jesus was sanctified. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now, I know I've read quite quickly through the story, and I may have read in a language that's not everyday language, but a reason I read in the King James Version is because this story often, when it's told, and when the paintings are drawn, they deduce the story from the King James Version, and from the things that are stated in this version. Please allow me, therefore, to follow the account of this story concerning the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, I'm going to run several things parallel. From the story of Christ, we're going to learn a number of things. Number one, we're going to learn about the wisdom and the faithfulness of God in weaving the unfolding story of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you see that, I want you to see how God knows how to weave and interweave the story of your life. If your life is in the hands of God, God will make sure that things turn out right. Secondly, we will learn how God's promises never fall to the ground and how God's purposes will finally stand no matter how many times it gets interrupted. Remember, after the prophecy of Jesus and after Jesus was born, Satan And before Jesus was born, rather, Satan tried by all means to try and stop the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, when God promises, his promise will never fall to the ground. And so I want to encourage somebody this morning that what God has said about your life, God's purpose will stand in your life. Well, I know that the Bible says many other plans in our heart. Sometimes we have plans. And many of those plans, and some of those plans, never happen. But the Bible says, even if there are many in the plants, plans in the man's heart, the purpose of God will stand. Amen. And I'm here to encourage somebody on this Christmas day that God's purpose for your life will stand in the name of Jesus. Amen. Number three, we will see how God interrupted and intercepted the lives and the schedules of Joseph and Mary. After confirming what God's word has said, He interrupted the the lives and the schedules of Mary to, to further confirm that God's plan will prevail. Joseph and Mary at this time, and I'll state it again, were not living in Bethlehem because Bethlehem was a very small place. These people had migrated and they were living somewhere else. But God interrupted their lives, which I'll explain later. Interrupted them to bring them back to Bethlehem at this specific time to be able to fulfill prophecy. So sometimes you may plan certain things in your life and things may not work out as you've planned. And, and interruptions may come, but in those interruptions, somehow God in his wisdom and in his mercy, he is driving you back to be in the right place at the right time, in the right spot for the fulfillment of what? Oh, am I prophesying to somebody in the house? Some of you may not have planned to come to this service today. You may have planned to go and party somewhere, but for some reason, you found yourself coming here and you don't know why you came here and you don't know why you agreed when they said, Are go king. but I'm here to tell you that God interrupted your plan because God has a greater plan and a greater purpose in mind for you. Hallelujah. We will learn number what? Number what? Number what? Number four? Number five? Number what? Number four? Number four? Number four, we will learn how God moved things around in the lives of Mary and Joseph, even inconvenienced them to put them in the center of his will so as to advance the agenda of the kingdom. One of the things I'm realizing more and more is that God is concerned about his agenda, his story. If God has to interrupt your life, inconvenience you, he will do so for his plan to move on. I'm not talking about sickness and disease, but there are things that God will just take away from your life so that you can be in the center of his will. In fact, Romans 8:28 tells us that all things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And I've learned as I've grown up, when certain things are not working out in spite of all my good attempts, and if I've done right and I've lived right and I've done all that God says, but things are not happening, I've learned to chill. I've learned to relax. I've learned that even when things come up on me that were not part of what I was expecting, I've learned to chill because I've realized that my life is safe in the hands of God and so is your life safe in the hands of God. I found out that certain things that I didn't like when they happened years later, I thank God that they happened because all things work together for good and I'm here to tell somebody that all things will work together for good in your life but the condition is that to them that love God, And to them that are called according to his purpose, you have to be sure that God is the lover of your life. And you're committed to him. And you have to make sure that you live out in the calling that God has placed you in. You put your hands in God's calling, things are going to work out. They may not work out today, Mara, they are going to work out. I said they may not work out tomorrow, Mara. One day is one day. They will work out. They will work out. And so it was in the life of Mary and Joseph that God interrupted them. And number six, we will learn how number five, we will learn how it is an undisputed historical fact backed by prophecies that date back many hundreds of years that Jesus was born. And that this was really the real Lamb of God. And that's the title of my message. Jesus Christ, the real Lamb of God. I want to go through those verses that we read, not all of them. I want to highlight certain things in some of the verses. Please allow me, we'll go back and forth, back and forth, as I try to reconstruct the events that happened on that night. And I'm going to try and fill in the blanks of certain historical facts that over time historically have been corrupted or misstated, And therefore, we end up losing the essence of what God is trying to tell us. And I'm going to ask the people at the back to put on that picture behind me, And I'm just going to leave that picture there. We'll talk about it uh, later on. But let's have that picture right behind me because I want to tell a story. Let's take the journey. Number one, in verse one, it tells us there was a decree that came out from Caesar. This was an official decree that was was issued out by Caesar uh, from the Roman Senate. This decree was an order. And it says in the verse that the whole world was to go back to uh, Bethlehem or go back to their home country. Now, I, I want to explain that. The whole world referred to here was not the whole world or the entire earth, but it refers exclusively to the lands that were under the Roman Empire. All the inhabitants that were in the lands that were under the Roman Empire they were issued with this decree and they had to obey the decree. Remember, the Jews at this time had been taken over by Romans or had been colonized by Romans. And so they were under Roman rule. And so a decree came out from Caesar that all the people had to go back to their lands of birth. It says in the King James to be taxed. In the New King James, it gets it right. It was not to be taxed, it was for a census. The reason was people had grown, the Roman Empire had almost doubled in inhabitants. And now what happened was Caesar Augustus issued a a decree that people should go back to their lands of birth. Remember, they didn't have computers, they didn't have what we had, so people had to go back to their land of birth for a census to be conducted. So they had to try and check how many people are there, take a census, so that they could determine the taxation rate. And this is what happened. And it's it's incredible that this happens exactly at the time when Mary is nine months pregnant. She and Joseph were not leading, living in Bethlehem at the time. They were living elsewhere, far from this place, almost in Nazareth or so. And by the way, maybe I didn't put this in my notes. This is for parcela. Tell your neighbor what's your fala parcela on a Christmas day. Tell your neighbor, Christmas, you deserve parcela. You deserve parcela. You deserve parcela. Now. Let me also just say something that is also misstated by Bible scholars. Not by the Bible, but by us Bible scholars. Many people say, and I'm going ahead of myself, but I'll come back. Many people say, because when Joseph, it's a, they say Joseph was a carpenter. And that's what the Bible says. It says he was a carpenter. That's such an unfortunate translation. Because a carpenter in your mind and in my mind is somebody who works with wood. That's a carpenter. But the name carpenter there, the word carpenter, is the Greek name technon. Technon. And the name technon speaks of a technician. And in those days, the technons specialized in working with, with gold and silver and, and, and working with precious stones. Of course, sometimes they would work with wood, wherein they would design certain furniture in which they would embed ivory, you know, the tasks of uh, elephants, and they would put in precious stones in this wood, because that was their speciality. But Joseph was not a poor carpenter. He was a technon. He was well compensated. He was a man of great means. He may not have been rich, but he was a man of great means. And so, in Bethlehem, because Bethlehem this time was a very small town, Bible history tells us that at this time, that uh, there were Bethlehem had a maximum of 150 inhabitants. Maximum, or had rather between 150 to 450 inhabitants, right? And so the people had left Bethlehem, it being a small country, a small city rather, they went to other cities to look for a job, just like people come to Johannesburg to look for a job. And what happens when they go to other cities? They marry, they get children, So the people who left, if you had 10 people who left, when they leave, when they go to other places, they multiply. So when you call them back to Bethlehem, then the place gets crowded out. Just think about it, right? He has a place that can accommodate maximum 450 people, right? A decree has been issued. The people who live in Bethlehem have to come back to their city of Beth right? For a census. So Joseph and Mary have to come back to their city of Beth. To tell your neighbor why are you not saying amen? Are you not listening to what is happening here? (laughs) So the people had them to go to their natural, to their original hometown to be taxed. So therefore, Joseph and Mary had to go back to their own hometown. This, Buzalwan, was God's plan to connect the dots to get Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem because there had been a prophecy about the birth of Christ hundreds of years before. In Micah 5 verse 2, this is what the prophet said. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So, this small city of 450 people, not much not happening here, Mary and Joseph had settled in other regions, and there was no compelling reason for them to come back to the small city. Even worse, Mary was pregnant. Which woman would want in days such as this? They didn't have Uber, they didn't have cars, they didn't have any of those, any trip they took they had to walk or ride a donkey's back. Which woman would want to walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem being nine months pregnant? Because we are told that the trip from from Nazareth to Bethlehem used to take you two to three days if you're a person who's healthy like you and me. But imagine a pregnant woman who has to have frequent stops on the way, you know, it would take her about two to three weeks. Who would want to go through that inconvenience? So God decides... Supernaturally to inconvenience this couple. Because in inconveniencing them, they had to be forced by the decree of Caesar Augustus to go back to their country of birth. So they have to go because it's a command, it's a decree. But in all of that, God is orchestrating that they have to be located in Bethlehem. Oh, come on, give the Lord a big hand of praise there. So God in his wisdom and knowledge, inconvenienced Mary and Joseph to put them at the center of his will. You see, Barcelona, God is so much in your future that he will do whatever he needs to do to get you wherever you need to be to fulfill his purpose. Sometimes you apply for a job here, you don't get it, you get it somewhere else and it's second choice, but you don't realize where you got the job, that is exactly where God wants you to be. Oh, come on, somebody. I remember I was supposed, as a young person, I was chosen uh, during my matric time to be among the students that were sponsors to go to America in 1978. You know, they had chosen us. In 1977, they had gone through the exercise. You know, and it was a hard exercise. And we came out tops. I was one of the top students. I mean, you can imagine, Bazelon. In 1977, yeah, thank you for the hands. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's for being the top student. Is that right? Thank you again. <laughs> and so, when I, when I spoke to my parents about it, or rather when my parents were approached about the, the opportunity to go to America, my parents declined. I was so angry. Think about it, Baza 1977, I had never been on a flight. I'd never been on a plane. Didn't even have a passport. Huh? 1977, how old was I? 16 years. Okay, Bilinky, 61 years in case Calculator, EG, I Just relax. Just relax, I'm 61 now. But I was 16 years old, and my parents declined. I was so angry. I was furious with my parents. But those days, eh, it's not like when you say, I hate you! <laughs> you don't do that. You just keep quiet. You just boil in here. But the year after, I was supposed to have left in December, of 77 or early 78. But in August of 1978, I got born again. Oh yeah? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now Kateba some of you born again le America. That's why you are not lapping because la la come America. No. na pa born again because if it was not for born again, I wouldn't be standing here today. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. See, there are times when God will inconvenience you to get into the center of his will. But then it says here, <laughs> in verse 5, that Joseph was espoused to Mary. It's a very interesting thing that we are not understanding today. The New King James Version says it, he was betrothed. And allow me to use these words, because that's what it uses. The NIV says he was pledged to be married. Now let's realize what happened. What happened between Mary and Joseph? Well, the Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph were espoused, but before they could come together, in the act of sexual intercourse, she was found to be pregnant. Huh? And it says Joseph wanted to, didn't want to embarrass her, but he wanted to divorce her privately. But as he was thinking on that, the angels appeared to him and said, Hey, hey don't do that. The child that she's carrying comes from God. And Okay, Muruta Now, let's look at this word espouse because I think we can learn a lot from the from the Hebrew culture, the Jewish culture, which is very similar to our culture today. That what espoused the marriage customs of these biblical times among the Jews involved several things that were done. There were steps that they entered into in finalizing marriage. The first step was agreeing on a price to be given to the father of the girl, which we call Lobola. And in their case, their compensation was for the loss of a worker. That this man worked hard to raise his daughter, so we have to give him compensation. They were not buying her. Right? And it's very interesting when I studied this, and I got so excited that the sum that was paid was mutually agreed upon by the two families. Yeah. <laughs> for several hours Anybody knows what I'm talking about, yeah. So these practices are not bad, they're not evil, they're good, actually. Yeah, thank you for that amen, my brother. I hope This giving and receiving of money would then be accompanied by a written agreement. I know I've, I've negotiated for several of the You know, after That, you know, it's a It doesn't matter how old So they would have a, a written agreement. So that would be such a, because, because marriage, listen to me, wasn't a matter of it being between the two young people, but between the two families. It's the young people and the families. You understand? So in marriage, I want to meet my wife. We, We negotiate for your wife and we are involved in that thing. Yeah, my wife. After this written agreement, then, the couple was considered espoused, or betrothed, or pledged, or what we would call engaged. So allow me for the purpose of our discussion to use the word engagement, but I'm talking about a espousal. This engagement for marriage was a binding agreement that set the young woman apart from for for apart for the young men. I that in many other things, labor for more. Don't touch. another name. Yeah. You're not don't touch. So, so this espousal set the woman apart for the young man. Now, this espousal, very interesting, could only be voided only by death or divorce. That's why it said, Joseph, when he found out that Mary was pregnant, before they had sexual intercourse, he wanted to divorce her. Because that was the practice. The only way to avoid it is either one of them dies, or there's a divorce and one could never get engaged any other way. Now, here's what I found interesting. The engagement was for a period of one year. During which the couple did not live together. And there was no sexual relationship. That's why Joseph reacted the way he reacted. In other words, the couple took one full year of purity and it was a year of being trained we call it premarital counseling in other words the couple took one full year to prepare for marriage today people don't prepare for marriage they jump into it because they fell in love they are dizzy and then when you marry somebody then you start finding stuff about the guy and about the girl that you didn't know. Interestingly enough, during this time also, the young man prepared a place in his house for his bride. I am going to heaven. I am going to prepare a place for my bride, because we are the bride of Christ. He says, So that where I am, there you will be. And all of this is all prophetic. He prepares a place for his bride in his father's house. Murana, just are in my father's house. There are many mansions. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. While the young man prepared a a place for his bride at his father's house, the bride prepared herself for married life. Because when the groom comes, he's coming back for a bride who is without spot or wrinkle. I was alone. I tell you. So at the end of the year, on the day of the wedding, The groom and his friends dressed in their finest clothes and they went to the home of the bride to fetch the bride. Jesus is coming back to fetch this bride called the church. Oh, oh, come on, somebody. Are are you there? Are you there? Or are you sitting next to some sleeping person? Just wake them up and say, hey, look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. And then together the couple would then go to the groom's house. Their friends sang and danced their way back to this house. Once at the groom's house, the couple was ushered into the bridal chamber. Jesus said, when you pray, enter. Enter that closet. Oh, it's all there in the Bible. It's all there. The bridal chamber says, when you pray, enter into the bridal chamber. They entered into the bridal chamber and their marriage was consummated through sexual union. Once that fact was announced, only then the wedding festivities started. And they would continue with guests dropping by for the wedding feast. Usually the wedding party lasted for a whole week. So you'll understand now why Joseph didn't want to take Mary. Why he thought of divorcing her because she was found to be pregnant. But God spoke to him and said, ah, she was not unfaithful to you. She was not unfaithful to you. I inconvenienced her for my plan. In Matthew 1 verse 18 to 20, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. I'm reading the New Living Translation. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And he considered this, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, this text then, by gives us an insight into the type of parents that Jesus was going to be raised by. A mother who in her youth lived faithfully, preserving herself, faithful, to her vows, to the extent that God came to her defense. A father who was a young man who was not going to disgrace his bride to be by exposing her. Because it was permitted by law that when a woman had been found unfaithful in this manner, she was supposed to be stoned. But Joseph, the Bible says, he was a just man. He decided instead of exposing her, I'm going to deal with this privately. In other words, the potential foster father of Jesus was a man who was not religiously cruel. Not a man who is judgmental and mean, but a man who is merciful and kind. There's a case to be made for purity, love, faithfulness, integrity. While God embraces our weaknesses, God expects us to live lives of purity, faithfulness, and integrity. And when we live that way, we become the potential candidates to be the carriers of God's vision and what God wants to do in our lives. God went to a special couple. Mary and Joseph, special couple. Because God didn't want his son to be raised in a home of a couple that had no purity, had no faithfulness, had no integrity and had no love. God's not looking for perfect people but God expects us to live by certain standards. And the more you live by those standards, the more you become the candidate that can carry God's vision. Yeah. Verse 6 and 7 says, Mary was full-time in a pregnancy and she gave birth to her son. Verse 7, the first part says, Jesus was the firstborn son. Wow. Why? Because Jesus was the firstborn that Mary had ever given birth to. You'll know that there were other children that were born later. So Jesus was the first one. In fact, Jesus had at least six siblings. Their names were recorded in Matthew 13, 55. Yeah, I like that show. That's what I wanted when I preach. Matthew 13, 55 and 56 and Mark chapter six, verse three. The names are mentioned, excluding the names of the sisters. I don't know why they didn't write the name of the sisters, but let me give you the names of the siblings of Jesus Christ. After Jesus was born, then it was James then Joseph, then Simon, then Judas or Jude, and the sisters. Bible doesn't specify how many sisters, but we can assume it was at least two. So if you take four brothers, two sisters, at least Jesus had six other siblings. Could have had others. We are told that James was the eldest among the four brothers. Tradition tells us that James was not a follower of Christ during the lifetime of Jesus. But later he got converted. And he emerged as a leader of the church in Jerusalem. You find that in Acts chapter 15, verse 13. In 1 Corinthians fifteen, seven, and Galatians 2, 9. And it is this James who wrote the book of James and lived in service to Jesus Christ until he was martyred which tells us that there are some people in your family who may not follow in your footsteps. They may say all kinds of things during your lifetime and even mock you when you talk about the name of Jesus. But the testimony of your life, they cannot erase from their minds. This is like parents who try to raise children in the knowledge of God and you raise children in church and you, and you raise them under the umbrella of God but during your lifetime they do all kinds of funny things and they hate you and they do all kinds of things and they go into alcohol and they go into drugs and, and you, you, you go to heaven even without them being converted. But let me tell you, that mark of your life, you don't know what God is going to do about that seed. Judas oh. Jude is also believed to be the one who followed Christ but he never believed in Christ when Jesus was alive. He only believed in Christ after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You find that in Acts chapter 1 verse 13 and 14. And so Jude Judas or Jude is the one who is said to have written the book of Jude. And so I want to remind you from that that there are people whose beginning might not be great but God will give them a chance and turn their life around and the testimony of your life will forever be a living memory in their mind even after you are gone. They may not like the way you pray. They may not like how you go to church. They may not like the fact that your living right brings conviction to their hearts but they can never erase the story of the grace of God they see in your life. And sometimes after you're gone, after you're not there, they start following in your footsteps. But also I'm thinking about this family Mary and Joseph. What a family. What a family. A family given to the service of God. For me, I can tell you. It's a blessing to have a family that serves God. Ha! Jesus Christ, Mary, Joseph, Judas, and James, all serving God. They were a home dedicated to the work of God. And verse 7, the second part, it says, after Jesus was born, ah, this is something else. His mother wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Now I want you to understand the significance of this statement. I want to go back to Bible history and I want to go back to our picture behind me. Right here. When you look at this picture, you see a number of things. You see the baby, see the manger, you see the stable, you see the who are these? Come on, let me hear you. Don't 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 whisper now. Now, let me just disturb you a little bit. In the first place, the The Bible never said there were three wise men. And not only that, the three wise men were not there on the day of Jesus' birth. They came two years after Jesus was born. Now, why this confusion is because you've got to remember, those days, they didn't have cameras like we do. They they, they couldn't capture what happened. So the story had to be recreated. And many artists, particularly in the Middle Ages, many Italian artists who tried to reconstruct the story of the birth of Christ, they took all the happenings of around Christ's birth and put it on one canvas. So on one canvas, you see the star, you see the three wise men, in inverted commas, you see a wooden barn and a wooden manger, which is incorrect as well. Because Jesus was not born, and he was not laid in a wooden manger, and he was not in a wooden stable.
1: I'm going to show you what
0: history tells us. Why do we write three wise men? Why do we sing the song, three wise men? And I'm sure about what we've been today. That's because the Bible tells us about three types of gifts that were given to Jesus. It was gold, frankincense, and mirror. So from the three types of gifts, we've assumed that it was three wise men But the wise men, the Magi, in those days, these wise men were very wealthy men. And when they traveled, they traveled in what is called a caravan. We call it an entourage. When they traveled, they traveled in groups of 20 or 40. So it was a huge group of 40, 50 people who came to Christ with three types of gifts. Wasn't three wise men. Hey, I wanna the old I'm giving you history. Now you have your own place of, of speciality. Bible. That's my speciality now. I'm here to show you. Why the three types of gifts? Ah these wise men didn't come for a baby, they came for a toddler king. That's why Ababu what they said we came to find the king. They came for a toddler king, not for a baby. And the three types of gifts have a prophetic significance. That's what I'm telling you about the wisdom of God. Gold speaks of godliness. That this child who's an ordinary child is God. Gold speaks of God, godliness. So the gift in itself was a prophetic statement that this child is God. Mira, huh, Mira has two things about it. Mira is the ingredient that was put in the anointing oil. And Mira as well was made out of a plant that used to give was like a bitter herb and when you crush that bitter herb it would become sweet and it would release oil Jesus was Jesus, remember the name Jesus those days was a common name there were other people called Jesus but the difference about this Jesus is that he would be Jesus upon whom the oil would come the name Christ means the anointed one Jesus the Christos, this particular Jesus will have the oil of the anointing upon him. He is Jesus the anointed. That's why when he made the announcement after being baptized by John the Baptist, he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yeah. Say so you are waiting for Jesus the anointed one. I'm here. So the mirror was a prophetic utterance. But it was also saying in his crushing it would release the sweet smell and the sweet aroma of God's forgiveness and the oil of healing to the nations. But what about the frankincense? The frankincense is what they used to embalm bodies. When somebody was dead, they would take a corpse and embalm it in frankincense. So on the on on this when on the in, when these men came they were also already saying this toddler is going to die and this toddler needs to be embalmed nobody can weave up that kind of story all right let's go back to our story so yes mary yes joseph through a lot of inconvenience they come walking all the way to bethlehem And the Bible says, when they came there, the inns were full. Now, inns those days were accommodations or hotels that were there on the second floor of large houses. So they used those places for hotels or what you call B&Bs. So when Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem, the inns were full. Right, and, and he decided to look for a place now. The reason he couldn't get into the inn is not because of money. It's because it was packed out. It wasn't because of poverty. It was because of lateness. Remember, he is walking with his pregnant wife. He arrived late. So when he got there, place is packed out. So what does he do? He went to a stable. Ah, watch it now. The stable these days were not made out of wood. There were special shepherds who were what we call under the rabbinical order. Remember that word. These shepherds who were under rabbinical order or rabbinical care were special shepherds who used to raise lambs and raise lambs which would specifically be sacrificed on the temple mount. So in raising these lambs, they had to inspect these lambs, take care of these lambs. It was a special trait. These shepherds were doing a holy work. It was a sacred duty. It was something they did that they were committed to. And these shepherds, to be able to house their flock They would go into caves, and you can find those caves today in the Holy Land. They would go into these caves, which are called the stable or the barn. It wasn't made out of wood, it was made out of stone. And in these caves, these shepherds, after they had raised these sheep, in raising these lambs, they would tie these lambs' feet with strips of cloth which are called swaddling clothes in our text. Why? Because in raising these lambs, they had to raise a lamb that was without blemish, that didn't hurt itself, that took care of itself. So they would wrap it in these cloths and raise these lambs and go into these caves. And in these caves, the priests would come to inspect the lamb. And in inspecting the lamb, the shepherds would take this lamp and put it on a manger which was carved out of stone in the cave. And the priest would come and inspect the lamp to find if it has any blemishes. And then the priest would give thumbs up and say this lamp is the right lamp. That can be sacrificed. Oh. God in his wisdom causes Mary and Joseph not to get an inn anywhere. Ah, Am I talking to somebody? He causes Mary and Joseph to find their way into the cave. And when, when they got into a cave, remember the caves, many people were in the cave at that time. Because people didn't have accommodation. Many people were in the cave. So Joseph comes into this cave and I'm sure they had to find a private spot somewhere, a secret spot where Mary could give birth. So when Jesus was born, he was not born in a five-star hotel in center. He was born in a busy place where there were sheep and people. People laughing, people singing, sheep bleating, all kinds of noises. And all these people who were in this cave didn't realize that even in their ordinary lives, right in the corner, there was something happening that was going to change the history of the world. Because when God begins to work in your life He doesn't make a lot of noise God works in your life In an ordinary way In a secret corner somewhere Can I hear an amen from somebody? And God works amongst ordinary people And these ordinary people in the cave Even if they didn't realize what's happening History was unfolding in their corner That was going to change their lives. And after the baby is born, Mary looks around in this cave that was used by shepherds. And he finds the strips of cloth. And he ties his baby with his cloths and puts this baby on a manger. And we read later that the angels visited the other shepherds. These shepherds who were looking after the sheep, these are special shepherds. These are shepherds under the rabbinical order. These are shepherds who are raising the lamb. And when the angel comes, he says, I've come to declare to you good news. He says, I want you to go and look for the baby. Make a search for the baby. So these shepherds, when they heard what the angel said, The angel says, you will finally find the baby. And a sign of the real baby, the real Lamb of God, you will find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. You will find this baby laying in a manger. What would be the chances of shepherds finding a baby in a cave and a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes? What would be their chances? But God knows how to weave and interweave history. I said, God's going to weave and interweave your history. And the Bible tells us that the shepherds came and they looked for the baby. And the Bible says, you will find this baby. It's a very interesting expression there. You will find this baby. And this will be a sign. The word sign speaks of investigation. Something that you perceive and something that you get. Look, verse two, uh, Luke 2.10 The angel said, do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ Jesus and this will be a sign to you. <laughs> you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger and suddenly there was the angel and the multitude that were praising God and after the The angels had gone away, the shepherds went to Bethlehem to see these things which would come to pass. And the Bible says they found Joseph. Very interesting. They went into the manger as rabbinical shepherds. They were going there to inspect the real Lamb of God. And the Bible says they found, it is the word Eureka. In other words, it speaks of a moment of sudden triumphant discovery. When they found Jesus, it was a moment of inspiration, a moment of insight, a moment of revelation. That word Eureka speaks of a moment at which a person realizes or solves something. All of a sudden, it occurred to them. What we have been doing for these hundreds of years, it was just a symbol. We have been raising lambs and we have been tying them in circling clothes. We have been putting them in a manger to be inspected by the priests. Now we are sent by the angel because now the real lamb of God has come. Can I hear a good amen? The real lamb of God has come. It finally occurred to them that our job is done. It finally occurred to them. We don't have to be tied to some formats with some religious order. The real lamb of God is there. And so when they came into the cave, when they finally found and located the cave after searching, when they came into the cave and Eureka, here he is. And as I close, the Bible says, then they went out and announced everywhere. The shepherds became the first evangelists to announce about the birth of Jesus Christ. And people could believe them because they knew these are no ordinary shepherds. When they heard the many of them telling the same story, the real Lamb of God, Jesus, the true Lamb of God, Jesus, the true Lamb of God has come, people believe. Let me conclude Philippians chapter 2, please. Oh, let's start with uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. I don't know if they can have it at the back. All right. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. So God comes in flesh form. Why? Let's go to Philippians 2 as we close from verse 5 to explain to you and why this day matters. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Keep going, please. Verse five, 6. Who being in the form of God. So in other words, Basalana, Jesus was God. He is God. He was in the form of God. He says, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So, in other words, when Jesus was born, that's not when he started. He was God before. But when Jesus was born, it was because God wanted to manifest in the flesh. Mamela, 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 mamela. God loved us so much that He wanted to get close to us. And because if He was to come in the fullness of His splendor, there is no human being who would stand His glory. God had to downgrade His form and get to a form that we can be able to accommodate and the word became flesh and dwelt among men. Let me give you another revelation. You know why the angels were so excited when Jesus was born? You know why the angels came in such great numbers to come and witness this historical event? Because for the first time they would be able to look at God. Throughout eternity the angels could not look on God. But somehow God had to degrade. He had, had to downgrade. Right? Downgrade to a level where we could look at him. John says, him who came, whom we felt our hands have touched, our hands have handled. God had to downgrade. Verse 7. It says, but he made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a born servant. And coming in the likeness of men. I'm closing. That expression made himself of no reputation. When Paul wrote this about Jesus, he's borrowed this from the practice of the days where you'd find people who are kings who so loved their subjects and wanted to be among the commoners. But for them to go and mingle around with the commoners, they would be swamped. People would come around and, and they would totally be overcome by the crowds. So as the king is looking out the window, he so wants to be with the people he's leading. But because he is of such a high status, if he was to go there in his form, they would all run towards him and everybody would try to touch him. And the king would make himself of no reputation. What does it mean? The king would then decide to change into the clothes of a commoner. And he would slip out of the palace unnoticed and go and mingle around with the people and walk around them. And as he's walking around in the streets with them, they would be treating him as a commoner, not knowing that I am standing next to a king. Jesus Christ decided to make himself a commoner. He was God, but he decided, you know what? I'm going to be born as a human being. I'm going to be born as a baby. I'm going to be birthed by the human being that I have created. I'm going to come into a human family of the people that I have made. I'm going to allow the people that I have created to be the ones who handle me. I'm going to be raised as a child because I want to come down as a commoner. Why? I don't want to be so far for the people not to understand who I am. I love them so much. I cannot help, but I want to be among them. And the Bible says he came to his own and his own received him not. Why? Because he was so ordinary that they couldn't believe that is this the one who is the king of kings. And this king of kings today, as we talk about him, he came to die for you. Note what it says. Taking the form of a born servant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8. It says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself became obedient to the death, even the death of the cross. Keep going, please. Verse 9. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Keep going, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. Verse 11. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Give the Lord a powerful rousing. Come on, give the Lord a shout. And that is the story of Jesus Christ, the true Lamb of God. Shall we stand on our feet, everybody? And here's my question to you. Let's stand on our feet, everybody, please, all over the place. Even the people in the overflow hall and people in the foyer and people in the other churches, shall we stand on our feet? Here's my question to you. What will be your excuse? When you stand before God to give an account for your life. When God has gone so far. To reach out to you. What excuse will you give? Some of you are here. And I'm glad that even if you've heard the story. You don't have a personal encounter. And a personal relationship with Jesus. You may have been inconvenienced with your day. But you're being inconvenienced is because God wants to work something in your life right now. You are here to hear the story of Jesus Christ who was born and who on the first day it was already prophesied he is a lamb that would be slain for the sins of many. He's no longer lying in a manger. We're just remembering that. But it's a story that has turned history around. This king who humbled himself, this king who downgraded just to be with you and to be with me, and as Philippians says, who died Even the death on the cross. Not because he had done anything wrong. But because of his far-reaching love to die for you. May this not just end up as a Christmas story. May this be a living experience in your life today. Because Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are heavily laden. I'll give you rest. He says, Take my yoke. He says, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. John writes, To all those who received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. Do you want to invite Jesus in your heart today? Do you want to invite him in your heart? Say, Jesus, would you come in my heart? I don't want this to be just a story I read about. I want this to be a living reality. He came to change somebody's life. As you remain standing, please bow your heads and close your eyes. all over the place. Nobody moving around, please. Except our ushers who are helping us out. Nobody moving. If you say to me, you know what? Today, I really realize how far God has gone to reach out to me and to change my life and today I want to invite Jesus Christ into my heart I want to receive him as the true lamb of God as the one who came to die on the cross to save me from my sin maybe you are living far from God maybe you look at your life and it's really not pleasing maybe you're trying to stop things and you don't know how to stop in your own strength but today, as you've listened to the message, you realize that Jesus came for people like me. And That's the thing with God. He comes for broken people like us. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you say, please pray for me. Would you raise your hand, please, right where you are. I want to pray for you. Just raise it up. Please pray for me. I want to receive Jesus Christ in my heart. Just raise it up. All over the place. Raise it high. Let me see it. And even those of you who are watching by way of live streaming, where you are in the churches, just raise it up. All over the place, even in the foyer, even in the youth hall. Raise those hands. Thank you. I see the hands everywhere. I see hands raised everywhere. Don't be shy. Jesus was not shy. He was publicly humiliated for you. Don't hold back. Don't postpone. This is the time for you. Thank you. All those of you who raised your hands. I want to invite you, please. Because I want to pray for you. Would you please just come from where you're standing. And make your way to the front. And as you come, take all your belongings please. Your Bible, your bag. Just walk to the front. And those in the youth hall, walk to the front of that building. Those in the overflow hall, come all the way to the front. Those who are live streaming, walk to the front of that church. Walk to the front of that church. Give them a big hand please as they walk.